Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Good morning and welcome to Daybreak Devotions. Here we are in the middle of the week, and we're so glad you're back with us. This is Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell from McLeansville Baptist Church. Not only do we get to start the day off in Daybreak Devotions, but tonight we get together for prayer meeting and Bible study. It's a wonderful day all around. Yes, it is. Wednesday, wild and wonderful. And windy. Yes, it is. And always a little breeze blowing. You know, in the spring of the year, you're going to get that. Absolutely. We have, we've entered March, by the way. Yes, is it March what comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb? Yeah. I know it's the April showers bring the Mayflowers, and Mayflowers bring the pilgrims. pilgrims. Yeah. We told, we're not that far yet. told my daughter that joke the other day, and she didn't get it. Well, you should have told it in a John Wayne voice. <laughs> she, Pilgrim. She definitely wouldn't have got it. Like, well, Who's John Wayne? Anyway, we'll have to discuss that another time. <laughs> but we're, we're uh, continuing today with actually yesterday's study in Psalm 119. And we are in verse number 67, or is it 65, through verse 72. And we began that yesterday. We'll do a little review here in a moment. But we're looking at what it means to suffer into strength and what it means to suffer as someone who is in the way of the devout heart. So we're going to be looking at that today. Uh, i got to be honest with you, though. Boy, I didn't do much suffering yesterday. Beautiful, beautiful day. Got outside in the yard a little bit and... Uh, Made myself a nice fire in my outdoor fire pit. Actually got over into my uh, my little campsite over in the wood line. Ooh. Yep. Good day. Good day. But you know what? We don't we don't really want to have to suffer in great ways every day. I'm glad now and then there's a little bit of peacefulness. It's what uh, propels you forward through the suffering. It's good to know that as bad as it is when we go through the suffering, we have something to look forward to. And those little times of reprieve and those good days remind us of the hope that we have. Well, I I know somebody around here has complained enough about the rain, so when we have a nice day, we should we should honor that. Exactly. Well, it is Wednesday. You know what that means. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. That's right. It's Wednesday's Word of the Week. We want to be educational here on the Daybreak Devotions. One of the ways we can do that is have a Word of the Week. And today, I'll be honest with you, I kind of did the lazy route, I guess. I guess you could say that. But I went with the word of the day straight off of the Merriam-Webster dictionary app Mm. on on the phone. Mm -hmm. Today's word of the week is stultify. Stultify. S-T-U-L-T-I-F-Y. Stultify. Now, before I explain what that is, it's a verb. I want to see if you have... Any no idea. idea. No, no idea? No idea. Hmm. Well, this comes from a late Latin word, but I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this one right. Stultificare. Stultificare. And I'm sure you say that different in Latin. But it means, that word means to turn into foolishness from the Latin stultus, which means foolish. Now, I've given you some hints. So stultify. What would that mean? I said stultify, didn't I? Stultify, I guess it's stultify might be the right way to say it. Stultify. 
to make foolish or to make to look foolish? I think that's very close. Here's the definition. Stultify means to cause someone or something to become dull or ineffective. Ooh. So I guess if you got into a battle of the wits with some people and they were really sharp, they could stultify you. Yes. Or if you, like Deacon Dean, borrow a pocket knife from your beloved pastor and then leave it wrapped up in your your tent for like a month, two months, and then discover it. Oh, here's that pocket knife you loaned me. And it's been in that tent, wet and salty. It comes back dull and rusted. <laughs> you have stultified that pocket knife. Way to go, Deacon Dean. Shout out to you. Well, just wanted to kind of give a good example. They do have a uh, an example of a sentence. With a government as stultified by bureaucracy as that one, even the simplest records request can take weeks. So you can stultify a system. Got that right. And we make that statement a lot. Man, it is foolish how ineffective this system is. And yet, how often we find our entertainment by laughing at foolish or absurd behavior. Thereby being rendered dull and ineffective? We could go with another word of the week, amusement. But we'll save that one for another time because we want to do some thinking this week. That's right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. All right. We don't intend to stultify you here on uh, Daybreak Devotions. We intend to enlighten you. We believe in anti-stultification around here. Wow. That's a whole other word. Yep. Well, uh, or ostultification. Ooh. No stultification allowed. Yep. <laughs> we better move on from that <laughs> word. Anyway, so let's come back to our reading today, uh, our Psalms in Psalm 119. Uh, I, I think we want to make sure we get through it today, and I, I know we're jumping right in here, and that's good. And if we have time at the end for a song, we'll, we'll have a song on today's broadcast. But again, we begin to look at this yesterday. I made a statement at the very beginning that every believer needs a theology of suffering. It's interesting that my wife and I, and I was thinking about all this in a visit that we made yesterday. Uh, we visited with an with a, um, elderly lady of our church, who was sharing with us some of her physical uh, problems that are that she's beginning to develop in her life. And you can just tell that, that that's uh, weighing heavy on her. And that's a form of suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, that's part of, of life. That's part of our body's aging. A lot of that just comes with that. But that's, you know, her response, what she said to us. She said, when I pray, I just say, Lord, I don't want to complain. I don't understand why. But if it's your will, then it'll be okay. Hmm. Well, that's how we're supposed to be able to gear our hearts toward this thing of suffering. So we want to learn to see suffering as a means into strength. And that's why we looked at 2 Corinthians 12 yesterday with the Apostle Paul. We went into 1 Peter, several passages there. And Peter teaching us to follow the example of Christ. And when we look at Christ's suffering, you know, the whole outline there that we laid out was if we're going to suffer well, and suffer as Jesus did, we need to enter into the suffering as a choice of faith. We then embrace the suffering by looking for the good that God can do and will do as a result of it. And then we get to exchange the suffering. And by that, we get to receive God's gift of grace in our suffering. Our, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And then as we begin to look into Psalm 119, 
the idea here was, well, what does the psalmist teach us? He's clearly, he's clearly going through some suffering because he says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And in verse 71, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statute. So obviously one thing he's showing us is uh, that the affliction caused him to think about his life and repent, make some changes, and come back into a closer fellowship with God and into obedience to God's word, which is something that Peter gives us, just to kind of give that text back in there. In 1 Peter 4, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So affliction can be a way to help correct us in our journey. Now there's two things we talked about yesterday, and and that was one of them. If we're going to suffer as a devout heart in the will of God, suffer into strength, the first thing we do is we anchor in on our belief in the goodness of God. And that's what verse 65 and 66 teach us. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Then the second thing, which is what I just alluded to, if we're going to suffer well, we need to accept any correction that God is trying to bring about in our life. And in verse 67 and 68, again, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. And so this is what uh, he sees, he, he understands that the, the suffering, that God has an end in mind with the suffering. So I guess one thing we could say right there is never let, and I, I, you know, I'm just realizing, I'm about to quote somebody. Might it have been Henry Nowen. Can't remember, but somebody, I remember, put this in my heart and my mind. It might be John Eldridge and something quoted someone who said, but never waste Never let your suffering go to waste. Or make an offering of your suffering. It was something like that. Make an offering of your suffering. Don't waste it, in other words. Mm-hmm. God has an intention. God's doing something. He doesn't just allow us to suffer and be afflicted in life just because, well, he's got nothing else to do or you know, he, he thinks it's a, he gets a kick out of it, right? That's What God is allowing in our life has an end in mind, and we know what that end is because we read it yesterday in 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, the end of that, that whole section there where he says, after that ye have suffered a while, he will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then he says, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we just learn to look at our suffering and affliction as, hey, God's got something going on in this. It's a good thought to bring up about making an offering out of our, of, of our suffering because so often we say, you know, bring your life to the Lord. Bring your life to the Lord. Give your life to Jesus. He wants your life. And it's easy for us to think he wants the good parts of our life. He wants our time. He wants our talent. He wants our focus. And absolutely, he wants all those things. But he wants us to bring our hurts, our difficulties, our weaknesses, just as much to him as well. He is just as as pleased to receive those things as he is to receive our good parts because that's still, that's still the trade-off. That's us giving him ourselves so that he then in turn can give himself back to us. So the whole idea of course correction comes into play here, as verse 67 is, is showing us. But also we understand that God redeems the suffering to make or, or to enable us to make much of him. And in verse 71 we read says that, but then in the very next section in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. 
And I think somebody that would say that would be David, King David. After everything that happened with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11, there was a uh, there was a great deal of suffering and affliction, and that was a very long season in his life that, that went into future generations. Mm-hmm. And yet through that, God did wonderful things in the life of Solomon and, and even on into David. I mean, David and Bathsheba are a part of the line. You know, Solomon, part of the line of Jesus. And so God turns, he redeems that suffering and enables us to make much of him if we will trust him in it. Also, again, you know, think about Job and everything Job went through, which we mentioned yesterday. So uh, it's just learning that that's a very important part of our suffering, and that will help us to suffer well. Yes. So let's think about the third thing that we wanted to highlight then. We're, we're down to verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Now, I was telling you yesterday after we finished up when I made my notes on this. I don't do this all the time, but I, I certainly alliterated this one. You know, anchor in on our belief in the goodness of God. Accept any correction God is trying to bring about. And for the third, the third part of that, the way I wrote it down was accentuate your devotion to God. Now I wrote, I, I chose that word again as alliteration, but the word accentuate that could have been our word of the week today. Ooh. But basically. If you see the context that we've that we've looked at here, what he does in these verses is he is highlighting some key truths that really matter in his life so that he doesn't forget them. Why do we highlight things in a book? You know, why do we uh, put pictures of of great memories up on the wall or on our bookshelves? It's so we'll remember them. It's so like you said earlier about getting out and enjoying a good day. We, we, we put those things there to remind ourselves that not everything is bad. Mm-hmm. And even in the suffering, uh, we see this is what he's talking about because when we suffer, not only is God at work, but we have to remember that the enemy is, is at work as well. And in Job's life, we saw that, you know, it was Satan who came and said, huh, you know, what about this Job guy? Yeah, yeah, he, he puts on a good show, but let me, let, me, let, me do, let me do some damage to his life and see how long he's faithful to you. First Peter 5, you know, we read that yesterday. Peter said, uh, be uh, sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so not only is God at work in our suffering, but we have, to, we have to realize the enemy also is at work in our suffering. And even if it's just regular life afflictions, even like the example I gave, you know, somebody gets up in age and they start losing their strength or they start losing their sight or their hearing or whatever. We have to remember that not only is that just the natural course of life, but that's something the enemy can jump in on, and we need to be aware of that. So we're susceptible to the lies that will come. Let's say somebody's got a relationship that's on the on the uh, fringe or on the what's the word I'm looking for? Fritz. The fritz. That'll work. But there's there's just a struggle going on in a marriage or between a parent and a child or neighbors or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, when, when those things happen, the enemy will make all kind of suggestions into your life. If you're somebody that's in charge of something, if you're a leader in the church or you are a uh, supervisor on the job and you're having to make decisions, decisions other people don't have to make, but they always think that they know the right decisions to yeah. make, right? I just had a conversation with someone not long ago that was sharing that the decisions that they have been making in their life situation that others who have never been in their situation are critiquing and telling them, 
well, this is what you really ought to do. And if you yeah. just do this, look, the enemy uses that stuff. And we start hearing things in our heart like, see, you're, you are a fake. You aren't really a Christ follower or you wouldn't be in all this trouble. Or we may hear something like, you know what they say about you? It's true. Not only are you wrong, but you're actually the problem here. Yep. Now, I, I'm speaking from some ex- life experience in that. But we have to remember, and, and I'll, I'll close my comments here and let you jump in, but we have to f- force or push back against that by saying no. We have to come back to the things that we have been assured of in our heart, and that's what he's doing in these verses. He's making his declaration of love and truth. He's saying, Lord, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease. I didn't do much study into that phraseology there, but uh, that's an interesting phrase, I guess. I I really think it has almost to do like like a hardening, like um, like in the arteries, like like the the stuff that that catches in the arteries. It's so it's it's fat, but it's it's impenetrable, and it's just gunk that is compacted together, and it's so just so they're gunky. Yeah, these not, bunch of gunky liars. Yeah, it's not fat and flourishing. Like you hear, it's more of like stagnant and clotting. Well, and here's a good place to insert this. When we talk about the enemies, we, we, we know, okay, we all know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we all also know that flesh and blood often gets used by the yes. enemy. So what we have to do is remember that behind everything that somebody does or says to us, there is an evil influence going yes. on. They may not mean it even in the way that it's going to hit you, I mean, that's the perspective that has to come into our life. And so that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, Lord, I love you. I know that I love you, and I trust you, and I am being falsely accused, or I'm being misunderstood. But, Lord, you don't misunderstand me because you know my heart. Now, that's confidence. Yes. And that's a very helpful thing to have when you're going through the trouble. So that's why that's why I think he's showing us highlight the truth, highlight your devotion to God so that you don't forget that even when you're going through it. Because what that does is that reminds us and it it provides rather our validation from the father and not from these enemies and everybody that's all around us again it's the importance of god's word things that that god has spoken to you or that he has revealed to you through his written word the importance of highlighting those is because when you find yourself in a verse 69 or verse 70 scenario you go back to that and you forcibly remind yourself no it doesn't matter what all of these people are saying. God matters. This is what God has said to me. Okay, Lord, I'm going to choose to focus on your word. I'm going to choose to find my correction in this issue from you. And if you're not correcting me on this, then I'm going to anchor in on you because you matter, not them. Your opinion matters, not theirs. Because the same people that will crucify you today will sing your praises tomorrow and then bury you again and the day after that. Yeah. You know, it's just a it's just a constant cycle. But God is consistent. His word will not change, nor will his opinion of you change. Well, I just read this in I mentioned Henry Nowen earlier, and the little email devotional reading they sent out uh of Henry Nowen yesterday. Well, I wish I could quote this verbatim because he says it so well, but but in terms of knowing who you are, uh, I'll never get it right. He always says these three things. He says you're not what you do. You know, because when you... So let me, let, me, let me give a little context to this before I share it. When two people meet for the first time, and they say, 
and they're 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 checking each other out. Yep. One of the first things they ask is, "So what do you do?" Yep. Right. Now, that's one of the things that in our culture people feel defined by their job, right? Or in this case, we may look at even just the actions that we took, right or wrong. We got it right this time. We might not get it right next time. But the the little devotional reading said, "We are not what we do because we are always more than our jobs or our type." You know, t-. he said, "We are not." what we own, what we possess. You know, your life is not really defined by the number of things you have or don't have. And he said, we're not what other people say about us. Hmm. Because people will say, to your point, good things today and maybe bad things tomorrow. But the point that he went on to make is, he said, I am here to tell you on the authority of God that you are the beloved son or daughter of God. And that ultimately that's all that matters. And so we fall back on that. And uh, that's just a great great statement that I've in several of his books that I've read he he'll share those ideas we are the, the the sons and daughters of God well that brings us up to the last part of this which is verse 71 and 72 so it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver before I share my final point what was your takeaway of this section of the psalm it's the culmination of perspective. It's, all right, I've endured this affliction. I've gone through all of this. I'm now on the back end of this. And yeah, I might not have enjoyed all that I went through, but the result that I have on this side of the affliction is priceless. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Don't know that I would necessarily want to go through it again, but I am glad that I endured that and what I have reaped as a result of that money can't replace. Well, I agree. Here's the way I did it. So we've said that we need to anchor in on our belief in the goodness of God, accept any corrections that God is bringing into our life during our suffering. We need to accentuate our devotion to God. Remember that our heart is true to him. And in this part, what I wrote down is we then activate our worship of God. That's the way he closes it out. Thy law, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And what he's doing is he's offering his praise. He's yeah. returning thanks, as you just said, at the end, on the back end of this thing, I turned out just fine. And, you know, sometimes we don't turn out just fine as in that there weren't costs or losses in it. But we learn that we have lost nothing when everything has been entrusted into God yes. and into Christ. So we activate the worship. Afterwards, yes. During the suffering, yes. And I was thinking about Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail. Now, they weren't doing well physically speaking. Now, I don't know if we think about that very often or not, but they had been beaten before they th- were thrown in that jail. And then as we have, have understood about you know, prisons and jails of that era and in that, that part of the world at that time, these were not plush, comfortable. These were miserable. I remember when we were over in Israel, Athena and I got a chance to see the ruins of the Bethesda pools. And as we were walking around that, there was a staircase that went down, steps that went down underneath. And so we walked down there. She stopped on the the landing platform there up above, but I went on down onto the ground in this underground area. And I'm going to tell you something. It stank and it was damp and the ground was slimy and it was a weird kind of slime and then I looked up and saw all the pigeons that were hanging around and realized what the ground that I was standing on was made of Mm. and that's but that's all I could think about was those old 
prisons that these men would be thrown into. Now, take all that into account. This is what Paul and Silas are in. They're beat, they've been beaten, they're, they're, they're bloody, they're worn out, and they're in this nasty place. And yet the Bible says that at midnight they began to sing. I mean, can you imagine that? And, and it, it, that, that drove the enemy crazy, you know? Oh, yeah. But not only did it draw, uh, drive the enemy crazy, it drew God in. Mm-hmm. And what happened as a result of that was the whole prison was shaken, and a jailer and his family come to know Christ because of it. So when we learn how to suffer well and suffer into our strength, God's going to use that in magnificent ways. It's a foreign concept for sure. And So uh, you may have read the same article. We had a magazine um, from one of our supporting organiz- or one of the organizations that we support here at the church that told the account of this lady that just exuded and radiated joy, and it drove her neighbor crazy. Her neighbor hated it. Her neighbor orchestrated these trumped-up legal charges because it drove her nuts because she was so put off by Christianity, didn't want to see anything about it. But her neighbor had such a testimony for God in the way that she spoke, in the way that she conducted herself. And then as they began to look into it, she had a very, very, very hard, difficult life circumstance. And yet through all of it, just emanated the love of Christ to the point that this disgruntled neighbor was, was convicted. Stultified. Yes, she was. She was very convicted and said, "I'm going to put an end to this." But that's what happens when we turn our suffering to Christ and allow that to be a form of strengthening and ultimately worship. Well, let me close out today with a reading from Streams in the Desert devotional book. This was the February 28th reading, and I knew it fits so well for this. An inner-city missionary stumbling through the trash of a dark apartment doorway heard someone say, Who's there, honey? Lighting a match, he caught sight of earthly needs and suffering amid saintly trust and peace. Calm, appealing eyes etched in ebony were set within the wrinkles of a weathered black face. On a bitterly cold night in February, she lay on a tattered bed with no fire, no heat, and no light. Having had no breakfast, lunch, or dinner, she seemed to have nothing at all except arthritis and faith in God. No one could have been further removed from comfortable circumstances. Yet this favorite song of the dear lady played in the background. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Sing glory hallelujah. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Sometimes I'm level on the ground. Sometimes the glory shines around. Sing glory, hallelujah. And so it continued. Nobody knows the work I do. Nobody knows the griefs I have. The constant refrain being, glory, hallelujah. Until the last verse rose, nobody knows the joys I have. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's good stuff right there. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion 
at gmail.com.